comes louder. He's one on one with Hemsley, and Hemsley blocks it. Mitchell spins on Childs, and one. Cal up top, Shepard. Shepard was asking for it for three. Watson, and a foul! This is a clinic. This is Aztec basketball. Aztec fans, what is up? Welcome to the Aztec Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Trone. I'm joined, as usual, by Kyle Kinslow. Kyle, how you doing? Really good, man. It's been a great start to the season. Great start to the season. Uh, just as a reminder... You guys can find me on Twitter at Aztec Breakdown. I put out a call at the end of the last show um, for like DMs and engagement and stuff. And I got a lot of it. So thank you guys for that. You can find Kyle at Call Me Kinslow. Yep. Um, you can find the show on iTunes, on Spotify, on iHeart, all the places. You can also find my YouTube channel, Aztec Breakdown, where I do some video breakdowns. I haven't done any yet this season. I'm hoping to get a couple shorter ones, just like a minute or two video out there, just explaining these little things that I've noticed, but I haven't done that yet. With that all out of the way, shameless plug out of the way, let's get into, let's get into Kyle. We're four games into the season, and one of those was against St. Catherine, which I think is a Division three school. Um, it counts on the record, but you know, it's mostly just a, a tune-up game for the Aztecs. I want to start here. Before the season started, we were talking about the schedule. Pepperdine wasn't added yet. There were, there were five big non-conference games. And you had said, if the Aztecs go three and two in those games, they will receive strong consideration for an at-large bid. And I think we were both on the same page that like four and one pretty much guarantees an at-large bid right as long as they don't drop two in a row to san jose state or something like that pepperdine was added but so of those now six big time games the aztecs are three and oh how are you feeling about the non-conference schedule do they need to win any more games for that at-large bid how are you how are you feeling about it yeah gotta beat sd you gotta beat asu or byu one of those two games and i think you've got two really good non-conference wins um, especially if you could, we could win against Arizona State. I think that would be a real big deal because that's probably you beating the two best teams in the Pac-12 when mm -hmm. it's all said and done. Um, they're both going to be going to the NCAA tournament, most likely, barring catastrophic injuries. Um, I think that those two games are the ones to look for. And I think if they can get one of those two, I think they're in pretty good shape. I also think that how they've played in terms of they beat the brakes off UCLA and really overcame a huge deficit. I think that the people who are paying attention to state, I mean, their prospects, even though the schedule has kind of changed around, I think they're kind of trending upward. You can see that in the AP ranking this, this week as we're officially 24th in the nation. Yep. Excellent announcement. Excellent announcement. So in the last show, I did it by myself. You weren't able to join, but I kind of just riffed on my thoughts and what, what my thoughts were. And sadly for the listeners, it wasn't even that organized. I need to take a note from you and write down what I'm going to say before yeah. I say it. That way it has some type of organization. But I wanted to give you the chance to, to kind of add to that, contrast it, do whatever you're going to do. So let's start off with what have been the things that you've seen from this team that you've liked through the first four games. Yeah, so 
The first one is, without question, team defense. We've talked about the Aztec strength in our you know season preview pod, and I think defense clearly is what we talk about. It's been the Aztec strength for so long, and it's really good to see that it literally looks like it hasn't missed a beat. It looks like Trey may have raised his game a little bit. Psycho getting a little bit more run on their main players on defense, kind of filling in for that K.J. Fagan role late in games. I really like that. Um, and then just overall as a team, I feel like our defense has been suffocating it at times. If you watch that second half against Pepperdine, the amount of times where they were shooting late in the shot clock or taking a bad shot in the second half, I mean, that's really what won them the game because their offense wasn't there the majority of the game. But that's that's the big thing. Is that something that you, you've seen as well? Yeah, yeah. And the thing that's different so far about this year is I feel like, and I should have checked the numbers on this, but I feel like they're causing a lot more turnovers too, which yeah, really helps because it's yeah. one thing, it's one thing to make them take a bad shot and then you get the rebound and it's fine. But it's another thing and against Pepperdine, it would happen a lot of times when they were in transition too. And so they're running in transition. The Essex would force a turnover and now it's transition in the other way and they would run down and they still wouldn't be able to hit the shot even in transition, but they would draw contact a lot of times. And that was a big part for the free throw disparity was 31 to 10 in the Aztecs favor for free throw attempts. And so those turnovers and getting out in transition um, were huge. Yeah. And, and to go along with that, I think in the past, the Aztecs have always been a team that really just forces bad shots and mm -hmm. takes a lot of charges as opposed to this year, we are getting, I, like you said, I got to check the numbers. feels like we're stealing the ball and stripping them a lot more than in the past. Um, that could just because, be because it kind of comes in bunches. It did definitely in, in the Pepperdine game. But that's definitely something that, uh, that, we, that our listeners should look for. So second, I pulled up the numbers real quick. So this year, and it's just through four games, and one of them is St. Catherine, although I don't know if Ken Palm counts the St. Catherine numbers in this. But through four games – the Aztecs defensive steal percentage is 13.4%, which is good for 27th in the nation through those four games. Last year, over the course of the whole season, it was 10.1%, which was good for 85th in the nation. That's a big um, difference. It's, it doesn't seem like a lot, like 3%, big deal, but like that's a big, out of every 100 possessions, that's three extra steals. A normal game is about 70 to 75 possessions, so it's two extra steals a game. Yeah, that's that's a lot. That's definitely a lot. That's really cool that that, that our, our eyes have numbers to back them for sure. Absolutely. Um, the second thing that I'd love to talk about is in the good is those players that we were hoping could would take a leap. Now it's only what four games into the season. They're trending in that right direction, right? Trey is playing pretty well. Didn't have a good first half last week or against Pepperdine, but Second half, much better. Uh, Kashad Johnson clearly is going to get some run with this team. He's really stepped up. I think a rope has also played a little bit better than he did last year. And then we got to talk about him, Tomajic. He has been a huge positive for this Aztec team as he was one of the biggest question marks that we had. And there were points last game where I felt Tomajic was significantly outplaying Mensa, And he earned that spot on the floor at the end of the game. So 
that's a huge plus for me as well. Uh, what about you and those, those players we talked about in, in like a transition year kind of? Definitely. So I think overall they are trending up. The Pepperdine game, a um, couple, couple quick, quick thoughts here. So somebody messaged, I don't remember if they, if it was like a reply on Twitter to me or something else, but they, they said, you know, the bigs, Mensa and Tomaj specifically, every time they roll to the basket, they're wide open. Why doesn't, why doesn't anybody get them the ball? And I pointed out on Twitter and I, I went and I was watching the tape and I noticed it even more this morning. I only saw the first half, but uh, Trey Pulliam tried in the first half twice to hit, to hit Nathan Mensa on those rolls. The first one, he did it successfully. And it was, um, it was before the broadcast had started, but I managed to, to get some video of it. He, he hit Nathan successfully, and then Nathan was called for a travel, which wasn't there. The refs were not great, and I hate dogging on the refs, but it was bad referees in the Pepperdine game. Uh, don't um, even get me started on Clinton. But so, so Nathan didn't travel, but he was called for a travel. So that one would have worked. It would have been great, but didn't work. And then the next time Trey tried it um, resulted in a turnover. And Pepperdine didn't get points yeah. from it, but still, that's going to yeah. be something that's going to affect your, your confidence. And they were just hard hedging – um, every, every pick and roll big time. And it can make it hard. You know, if the, what we'll see as fans is we'll see the big man is just standing in the paint. Nobody's around him. And we don't notice the hands that are in the passing lane. Right. Which causes issues. And it's definitely, and that's one of the, the big differences I thought between Tomajic and, and Mensa is you saw to men, you saw Mensa Mensa's going to set the screen and he's going to, and that's, this is, we'll talk about this in a little bit. I'm actually going to add it to my quote-unquote bad right now. Um, but Mensa likes to – he doesn't slip the screen, right? That's an NBA play where you don't – you act like you're going to set the screen, and instead of before you set it, you actually cut to the hoop. It kind of throws off the defense and the fact that they're not ready for it, and it can result in an uncontested layup. Mm -hmm. So I have been was screaming at Mensa to slip the screen because they were hard hedging every single time, Yep, which is they're kind of overplaying the screen, basically allowing one guy to go. If, if your screen's coming from the left, they overplay to the left to the guy who's off the ball, forcing – basically cuts the effectiveness of the screen. And the way you counter that is you slip the screen. So when they start to hedge – and overcommit to that side, you just cut to the basket because you've got no one in front of you. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like when Tamayic came in, he's more adept at that. Now, Aztec fans, this could be something that you notice because it was our strength last year was the pick and roll with Yanni and, and Malachi Flynn. And you've got a, such a great pick and roll playmaker in Malachi transitioning to somebody who's more, he wants the ball in the open court with Trey and, and Kind of using his speed and chaos. To, I definitely think that's something that's that's drastically different uh, this year as opposed to last year. Definitely, yeah. Um, and the Aztecs in general slip screens a lot. Normally, on like the side screens, they'll yeah. slip a lot. But the the ones at the top of the key don't get slipped quite as often. I I really am curious to find out how much of that is a player decision. Like, do they get to read and react to what the defense is doing versus how much of that is like it's designed this, you know, this way, every time you slip the screen or every time you set it, um, that's a question I'm never going to get an answer to, but yeah. And then my last thing, big, my, yeah, my last big positive uh, for the good so far this year is Shackle seems to be a little bit more versatile of the score. Mm -hmm. 
Um, last year, he was very much a catch-and-shoot scorer. This year, he definitely is going to need to put uh, – he's going to – obviously, with the loss of Malachi, he's one of the guys we're looking for. He's going to have to step up. And this year, he's driving more. He's at the rim a lot more, and that's important because him scoring in a multitude of ways is going to help his three-point shot. And I don't think – he hasn't shot the ball great so far this year, and you know he's too good of a shooter, I think, to, to – not be in that excellent percentage wise. And so that'll even itself out over the season. He's, he, he's not going to, not going to be, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me. This is another thing, but um, what's he I shooting just, on the air? I just, I just pulled him up. So he's five of 16, which is 31.2%. Which that's is not good for him. Even his freshman year, he was like a 33% shooter. So that's going to, that's going to correct though. I'm not worried yeah, about that. At he'll, all. he'll trend upward in that direction. Um, um I did want to touch base really quick. I, and you can tell me if I'm like looking too much into this, but we've, we've both been impressed. I think with, you mentioned Kashad Johnson earlier and uh, Lamont Butler as well, but I kind of thought it was pretty telling that in the Pepperdine game, when the team was struggling, neither of those two played hardly at all. I think Butler had two minutes and Johnson had five. Um, And I took that as like a reflection of, where they are in Dutch's mind Um, because those top eight, if everything stays the same, those are going to be the eight that play during the conference tournament. And so to me, I took it as like Kashad has definitely taken strides for sure. um, But for whatever reason is still that ninth man in the order. Do you think I'm looking too much into that? Do you think that's something that'll change in the future? What are your thoughts? I think SDSU typically has a quote-unquote deep team, right? Um, we usually ha- we usually play seven, eight guys um, on a regular basis. Normally nine, it, yeah. Yeah, and this year, this year 10, I think, is definitely a possibility, specifically because we are team defense and stuff like that. I think Kashad is really a matchup uh, question. Can the guy – if he – we're going against lesser athletic teams – uh, we definitely can throw Kashad in there, and he's going to just hammer him out with his, his his athleticism. I think against UCLA, you saw it a lot of a lot of times where they were running their four who wasn't as athletic as he was, and he was just killing them on the boards using his yep. athleticism. As opposed to Pepperdine, their bigs were a lot more athletic, um, and that I think caused him problems. I think coming up in the ASU game, this is this could be like kind of that. What is this a trend? Because mm-hmm. ASU is very athletic in the front court, so um, that's something. I think Lamont is. I think it kind of goes along with the the Fisher tradition of you trust seniors. You know what I mean? You don't trust freshmen, and you kind of got to earn it to be be on the court as a freshman. You you have a lot less leeway, um, per se, as you would if you were a senior. And Trey is playing a lot of minutes, but you're at a he, Lamont playing point guard is, is a weird situation because you essentially have a six starter and Adam Seiko, who we were thinking at the start of the year could very well have started for us this season. And he's playing a ton of minutes and he's guarding their, you know, their best score. He did against um, Pepperdine's uh, Colby Ross mm-hmm. a lot in that second half. And that's going to kind of take Lamont's opportunities out of the game because I don't know if you can play Trey Lamont and Seiko together. That 
that that lineup just seems like it's a little too mismatched for me. So Lamont might just be a case of the point guard depth at, at, on the team, specifically with Seiko and, and Trey. But, and Gomez, too. And Gomez, yeah, Gomez, yes. Didn't even think about him. Because um, I think my, my head, he's more of like a two guard. But still, yeah. he, he's been being the offensive creation, creating offense a lot for us. So he's that's essentially running the point guard spot. So it's definitely, he's definitely what, probably fourth in that pecking order now? Yeah. Um, and I wasn't so much, it wasn't as telling for me for Lamont, because like you said, like yeah. Dutcher, unless a freshman comes in and balls out, you know, I think Matt Mitchell's the last freshman to start as a freshman. Jalen, I think earned it his freshman year, but like he had to come in and he had to show out for game yep. after game after game before he earned it. Um, but it, it was telling for me, I think for, for Keyshad because he had the great game against UC Irvine. And then I don't remember how he did against St. Catherine, but then in Pepperdine um, only got five minutes. So that was something I noticed and I'm not sure how much to look into it, but yeah, he, he is definitely, well, he played a lot in the first half and then he, he missed the, he, he had those free free throws where he missed two of them. And mm-hmm. I think that just that sure looked to be upset about that. Yeah. Um, that might've affected his last, the rest of the game. But. And then later he drew a foul and he missed those two free throws. Also, mm-hmm. it was one exactly. for five. It was, it was not his best game, but still high hopes for him. He's going to be a good yeah. player. Yeah. Uh, I think that does it for, for the, the ups for the good, unless you had something else that I forgot about. I uh, what, what, what would you like to see improve? What have been the, the downside so far for the year? I think, I think the glaring one is just the slow starts. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of a trend that's been going on for over the course of even last year um, where we were just kind of a second half team. The problem with that this year is I don't know if we have the offensive punch to overcome a lot of those deficits. So starting fast and starting early is really important to this Aztecs team. That's definitely something um, – that I could start. And and then the other one that has been, it showed up twice now is Mensa versus what I called athletic bigs, but talk about what you see as the big issue with Mensa lately. So for me, the issue with Mensa, and I think I texted this to you during the Pepperdine game, but I was texting you and I was like, Mensa's getting killed by this five out that Pepperdine is playing. And I thought it was kind of funny because like shortly after I texted that they stopped playing five out as much, which I thought was interesting, but like (laughs) they, they still did some stuff, but Pepperdine's five was able to hit threes. And so what it does is Mensa pretty much universally and and Tomajic as well, but Mensa, the bigs really universally are going to play a drop coverage. So when a ball handler is coming off a screen, their job is to drop back into the paint and prevent the ball handler from getting a lane to the hoop. And they're also supposed to prevent the big from getting behind them and uh, getting like a lob opportunity. So it's a lot of it's a lot of defensive responsibility for a big, which can be tough. And Mensa's still getting his timing back. So sometimes he finds himself in the wrong spot. But one of the easiest way to counter that is to run a pick and pop or to just have your five man stretch out to the three point line. Because if the defensive big, in this case, Nathan Mensa has dropped back into the paint against either of those two offensive sets, the big is the offensive big is going to be wide open and Pepperdine, I don't remember the guy's name, Ku something, but he had a couple threes where Nathan had to run out and contest, and it was, it was too late because it was too much distance to cover. Um, 
and Nathan having to run out. In addition to that, I'm going on a rant. I'm sorry. But in addition to that, if he has to go out there, if he's not allowed to drop, if he has to stay out on the perimeter, it ruins the Aztecs whole defensive scheme because their whole thing is about uh, bringing help on the perimeter and funneling people into a guy like Nathan Mensa, who's going to protect the rim. And if he's not back there to protect the rim, that help isn't going to come. And so these guards to a certain extent are supposed to allow a certain amount of penetration so that the, uh, the, the ball handler over penetrates and is in trouble. And if they're still doing that, it's just going to give up a layup. So it, it causes a lot of problems if the opposing five can hit threes. Yeah. To go along with the Mensa, the Mensa talk. Now I don't want to say he's been bad because he's definitely been good. Um, he's been rebounding the hell out of the ball, blocking shots, creating issues on defense. Uh, and he's been finishing when he's been at the rim. However, he added this free throw extended jumper to his game yeah. that, frankly, I don't ever want to see him take again. Have you noticed that as well? Yeah, I, I have noticed that. I feel like he's taken at least one jumper every game. And I think against UCLA, it was a three-point jumper. Yeah. And, and that, was, that was another one of these questions. I, I think all the time now. So for those of you that are listening that don't know, I write for two different places. One of them is East Village Times and East Village Times has a press pass now. And so somebody in the, in the circuit there gets to go to the press conferences for Dutcher. And they ask, we have like a group chat and they ask like, what questions do you want to ask Dutcher? And I'm also now I'm always thinking about questions that I can ask him. And one of them I want to ask is, does Nathan Mensah have the green light to do that? You know, because sure seems like it. it seems like it, right? But that's so scary. But I mean, if he's hitting him in practice, then I guess it's okay. But like, yeah, I am not, I am not convinced yet that he should be, he should be taking those shots. It is, I'm not about it. And in the off season, I was like, he should be getting dump offs. He should be getting uh, cuts, rolls to the basket, lobs. And with those types of plays alone and high lows those, those high lows, they've been missing a lot of high lows. And I talked about that in the last pod, but uh, with those plays alone, I feel like Mensa can average double figures. And then he's coming out to the free throw line or to the top of the key and taking jumpers. I'm like, no, Nathan, that's just play your, play your role guy. I love you. I'm a huge Nathan Mensa fan. Play your role. Yeah. Okay. And that will, let's transition to my net, my last point, which we can make which is, and, and this is something that I kind of saw coming um, just because of how much we lost on offense. And that is Matt Mitchell doing too much. Matt Mitchell trying to force the issue and it just doesn't go well. And I think on a, two consecutive possessions, um, last game against Pepperdine, he drew a foul that was probably a makeup call from an earlier charge. So essentially he, it was a charge. And then on the next play, he took the ball to the basket one on three and it was blocked. Um, so that's something that I think we're going to need to kind of monitor moving forward. It could have just been one game. Matt Mitchell is definitely when he's frustrated, he wants to take over, which is a characteristic that I like. Mm-hmm. However, it can also inc- backfire incredibly right? And he can take a couple of bad shots and then that's a couple of bad possessions. And when you're not a great offensive team, those possessions could be the difference between winning and losing. Now, don't make it sound like I'm, <laughs> I'm 
saying that Matt Mitchell is going to lose us a game because Matt Mitchell is going to win us a ton of games this year. It's just something against the really, really elite teams that you should look for, especially next game. We're playing Arizona state. They're ranked 23rd in the country. It's a great opportunity to just kind of see how we will perform. Cause I don't think that the game against UCLA based on who they were missing is a true test of where we are. And of course it's early. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this game will be a, a lot bigger, a lot realer look into the Aztecs as a whole. Uh, and so I think that, and especially because this is a, this is one where we might need Mitchell to take over because I think he's the one player that ASU is going to struggle to defend. So just, just keep an eye on it. You know, it, it's one of those things, like I just noticed it in the last game. I noticed it a little bit in, against UCLA, but when it's going in, it's going in, right? But when it's not falling and he's continually forcing the issue, that's when we have a problem, right? How do you feel about the strategy of getting him in the low post and – what what the Aztecs have been doing a lot is they get Matt Mitchell in the low post and then he kind of like stands there and waits to see if a double is going to come. And if it doesn't come, he attacks. And Coach Dutcher has, has talked about this a lot. And if the double does come, he's able to, to pass out of it. Um, the issue that I've had is that generally speaking, the doubles aren't coming. And then it just turns into like a post-up position possession, which is super uh, low efficiency from an analytical standpoint. How do you feel about that general strategy? I actually like that a lot like more it. than him getting the ball top of the key and running isolation. For sure. And, and I think that that, that kind of lends itself to Mitchell's strengths, especially because I've noticed when they're doing that this year, it's when they go big. That's one of the things that we didn't, haven't really talked about and is a positive is the Aztecs playing big with uh, a rope at the four and Mensa at the five, that's the perfect time to do use Matt Mitchell in the post because he's probably being guarded by a guy who's giving up 10 to 15 pounds on him mm-hmm. and probably isn't used to having someone as crafty around the basket as Matt Mitchell is. So what you're right. It's not an analytical effect. Like it, it's not the best, but for a team that struggles to score and especially struggles to create offense, I think that's actually going to be a bread and butter play that we're going to go to a lot this year. It, it definitely is. I, I do like your point about like, if, if it's in the starting lineup, he's going to be guarded by a smaller player. That's something I hadn't thought about. My only concerns with that specifically, my, my one concern would be, is a rope going to hit threes if the ball gets kicked out to him? Otherwise the double's going to come and it's not going to matter. Um, the one thing I would want to change and I mean, not that I'm smarter than coach Dutch or anything, but the one thing I would want to change is rather than having everybody just stand there and waiting to see if the double comes, I want to, in addition to Matt Mitchell being in the post, I want to run a split cut or a flare screen or something to get somebody open and, and try and occupy the defense that way to give him an easier pass. And then if it doesn't come, have him do his attacking. But I do like, like you said, if he's guarded by a smaller person, it makes more sense. There's also a, almost a much more simple like fix to that issue. And that's switch where a rope and shackle are on the court for shackles guy to double as opposed to Mensa because you are as opposed to a ropes guy. Cause I think in the Pepperdine game, he took, did a rope take two threes and he airballed one and he hit the other one. Airballed <laughs> like, one and he hit the other one. That's kind of like what we expect a ropes jumper to be right. And if he can make two out of, out of five, I think we're probably doing pretty dang good. Um, I just don't think that 
having him in the corner because he's definitely a confidence player. He that ha- play happened more than once against Pepperdine. And after he airballed that three, I think on two or three straight possessions, he passed up an uncontested, we're talking guy not within five or six feet, to try to drive the ball, which natu- Mensa with the, his ball and having to play make for himself isn't the best situation for the Aztecs as a whole to be in. So I think that having him either catch and shoot it, right, or switching the guy who's on that weak side corner with a shooter in, in Seiko or or Shackle, I think that's just a very simple fix for the Aztecs. But a rope being good and, and how many shots he's hitting is, is going to determine in a many games if winning or losing. And so if they're, they're going to give him that shot, if I'm a, if I'm an opposing coach, I'm giving a rope that corner three until he proves to me that he yeah, can hit it. Absolutely, but, and he can like that's the thing he can hit that shot like when he like as we said he missed an airballed one and then he squished another one. It wasn't like some ugly jumper, um, but that's definitely seeming the, the the player that four whoever's playing the four is going to be in that opposite corner and maybe that's something that they took a look at moving forward because in against UCLA, I think uh, Kashad Johnson hit what. Two, three or four three-pointers and they were all from that that corner so i think i think against irvine was that game but yeah okay irvine yeah so it's 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 definitely something that you're going to notice moving forward is matt mitchell or mensa or a ro- whoever's in the post and a kick out corner three it's a thing with basketball but more mm-hmm. specifically with the aztecs because of our facility our, our best quote-unquote score matt mitchell is going to be in the post frequently so Definitely something to look forward to. I think what about, I'd also what? like to see real quick. I think I'd also like to see Tomajich in that role more as well, just because he's prettier in the post. I think he's more skilled as a post player. And so I think he will oh, yeah. be better to draw those double he, teams. He had a move against Pepperdine where he caught the ball in the post. He did a drop step fake layup. The guy jumped and he just turned to the other way and just laid it in on mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And those are just some of those like, you can't really teach that kind of thing. It's all about like this basketball so IQ. And to my age, like we've been singing his praises. He could get, I think this next game is really important for him because they have a super hyper athletic lineup and I think he's going to get a lot of run. But I agree with you. Putting him, using him as offense when he's on the court is a good idea, which is so strange for us to talk about mm-hmm. with a backup big because they have been basically, they've only had two jobs in the last couple of years, set a hard screen for our point guard yep. and go get the rebound. Mm-hmm. So looking at them as, as a more than that, I think it is unique. And, and Tamayich has really been, I mean, I, in my positives, I underlined him three times because I think he's, he's really been key to our success this year. And I think he's going to be key with our success moving forward. For sure. So what about, what about the future, right? We got a game against ASU. We got non-conference against BYU coming up. Um, conference plays starting up soon. What are some things that you you would like to see or things that Aztec fans should be looking out for moving forward? I think we've covered a lot of them already, which is kind of funny. Um, I will be looking to see if a rope is hitting those corner three-pointers. That's going to be huge just for the spacing aspect of it. Um, I will be looking to see if slash when Nathan Mensa like starts to get his timing back, especially defensively. I noticed it most in the UCLA game. And I think he's been getting better with it little by little, but like he was just very excited to jump up and get a block 
and it made it very easy to up fake him and then and then the other team would draw a foul and so as he gets his timing back and his rhythm back that'll be important um matt mitchell and and him progressing and uh whether he's able to be the guy or if he is you know is he is he a a one or is he like a really good two because last year he was that really good two right can he make that step Mm -hmm. to being the one and if not can somebody else do that is shackle the guy to do that because coach dutcher has been saying very similar sentences when talking about both of them like they can both shoot they can both drive now so the next thing is can they kick out to their teammates right so does somebody else step up to be able to be that number one there's there's still it's early in the season there's a lot to see left but the early returns have been good yeah i'm with you on that i think um, like we said shackle scoring was a very big surprise and and mitchell doing too much was one of my was one of my weaknesses for the start of the season so it definitely um, reiterates that point of you know we've got two guys that can be very good twos can we get one to be a, a dominant one the problem with shackle is i don't know if that's in his personality right i think that he's not that hyper aggressive player i think mitchell will literally go and fight five guys one on five as opposed to as opposed to shackle where he picks his spots he's more he's more clinical in that aspect um for me one of the one of the things that we didn't talk about is the starting lineup we is this a team where we match, we just basically play a different starting lineup based on matchups? Or do you see us as a team that's just, we've had so much unknown. When we were talking in our, our season preview, we mentioned multiple potential starting lineups. And I almost get the sense that Dutch is kind of going through the same process that we were. Which ones are going to work? Which ones aren't going to work? What combination of coming off the bench works? I think the only thing that we can tell by based on substitutions and lineups is that Seiko is going to be the first person off the bench and he's going to come in for whichever guard has foul trouble or whoever needs the first break. I think he's in every game so far, he's been the first person off the bench. And so really who's going to start. Uh, My other thing to look forward to is Trey's creation. Now you mentioned it in, in the pick and roll where he hit him on a slip screen or he hit Mm -hmm. him on a slip screen Mm -hmm. and then the other one he tried this underhand like just not a good pass um and trey trey's a confidence player so he definitely he it's honestly just watch his first five minutes and that will tell you how his first half is going to go it's just one of those players so um trey's creation is something that i'd like to see a little bit more of and, and, and he's definitely shown flashes of it right he's definitely um gotten past his guy and created open looks for others by driving. He's been successful in the pick and roll, but he's also not been successful in the pick and roll mm-hmm. and done a little bit of ISO too much. So it's kind of one of those things like, where does the progression go? Does it lean towards the positive? Does it lean towards the negative? I think Trey has, has been a great, has had a, a, a very solid start to the season and he's kind of got this look on his face, which I love. And it's the, it comes from the Xavier Thames school of, I'm better than you, even if it's not, right? I'm better than you, and you can't tell me otherwise. And I love that confidence. And with him, he's a huge confidence player. So if he can just build on that, I think he could be in for a really successful season. And then lastly, something that we haven't seen so far, and that's Terrell Gomez going full microwave. Oh, yeah. Going just nuclear on a team. Yeah, exactly. So he definitely is playing (laughs) – 
he, he's definitely playing that role that we thought that Lou Williams uh, role. And will he be hunted on defense? I think in the last game, he kind of was a little bit. Um, how can he hold up against the bigger teams? And then can he, can he hit open shots? I don't think he particularly shot the ball well for what we were expecting. I mean, every single broadcast, whether it's uh, Schaefer on the, the Aztec streams or the CBS broadcast, they mention him as being the guy who can just score 50 a night. And mm-hmm. it hasn't happened yet. So I'm wondering, does our team dynamic, does that kind of put the brakes on him as a scorer a little bit? Or has it just been, this is the way, this is just the matchups and, and the way our team has performed as a whole. Because one of the things, the, the crazy things is, even though we pretty handily beat UCLA, I wouldn't say we played amazing, right? We haven't played an amazing game yet. And I don't count St. Catharines. That team, you know, it, it's, we won by what, 40 points. So it's, it's just, it's, it's not, that's kind of one you just got to throw in the dumpster. Um, but does our team dynamic hamper Terrell as a score? And cause I think that in, in the end, there are going to be games this year in the Mountain West when you're playing second game of a bat, of a home and home series and a place where you don't want to play, where Terrell's going to have to put up 25 plus points for us to get a win, and it just hasn't been there yet. I definitely see his appeal though, because he's got some shots where I'm like, "Don't shoot that," and he shoots it and he makes it. So, um, he's definitely definitely one to keep an eye on, but. I think that the starting lineup and Trey, Trey's creation, I think that's a little bit more important. But what about you? What, what, what are you looking? I mean, I know we, we kind of talked about your, your main points. You got anything else? Um, so about- here's, I wanted to play this little game real quick. If you had to guess right now, what Terrell Gomez's shooting percentages from behind the arc, what would you say? Uh, I'm going to say 25%. So not bad. So he's at 28.6. That's not good for him. It's, it's not good. So his career percentage, which including the 14 shots he's taken this year, he has taken 648 shots from behind the arc, right? Which is a big a enough lot. sample size, right? <laughs> it's a big enough sample size that we can, we can trust this number. Um, he shot 42.7% from behind the arc. He's um, shooting 50. He's shooting, you said 42? 42.7 for his career. So he's 15 percentage points lower than his career average. That's, yeah. that's going to, yeah. Exactly. That's going to that's gonna balance out. Um, and the scoring, I don't think he's going to be, you know, a 20-point-a-game scorer like he was at Northridge, which makes sense because there's other guys that can score now. At Northridge, it was him, and it was Lamine Diane who went, he declared for the draft in this past draft. I don't remember if he got drafted anywhere. But, like, he was a good player. So it was just those two players, right, did all the scoring. He doesn't need to do that here, and I think that's something we've talked about before. But knowing that he's capable of doing it, if there's another game like the Pepperdine one, and it was, you know, it's sad that it didn't happen then, but should it happen again, Gomez is definitely capable of just going nuclear on a team. Um, The start to the shooting, because we mentioned – shackle shooting that might have actually been in our other recording spoiler Mm -hmm. alert we recorded another show for the arizona state preview but shackle we also mentioned was shooting poorly um but it reminded me a lot of last year how the team 
I think it was free throws. Like nobody could make free throws at the start of the season, even though they were all 80 and 90% career shooters from the line. And so sometimes, you know, guys just don't make shots. You're a big NBA fan. And I, I know you are, you remember the, uh, the Houston Rockets game six or game seven, whatever it was where they missed like 27, three pointers in a row. Like Mm -hmm. it happens, but when Gomez is shooting his, his percentage, he's going to be closer to, to 10 points a game for sure. Last thing that I want to add before we log off or whatever. Um, I am worried that Terrell Gomez is going to get, uh, what I call as being jimmered, okay? So when Jimmer Fredette was in college, he killed everyone, right? And then in the NCAA tournament, he played an LSU team that had hyper-athletic guys, and they did about as good of a job as possible on Jimmer. Guys were bigger, stronger, faster. And then when Jimmer went to the league, that's exactly what happened, right? He, he couldn't do what he did in college because of that. So I'm wondering, Will Gomez get jimmered in moving from a conference or moving from a team playing at Northridge where you're not playing the same level of talent as you are at SDSU? This next game will be really telling about that because their smallest player that I think will be guarding Gomez is their starting point guard, Remy Martin. And Remy Martin's pretty athletic and pretty fast. So I'm wondering, is that size and speed difference going to affect his game going on throughout the season? Now, don't get me wrong. Little dudes like Terrell, when they're cooking, are as fun of a player to watch as there is in basketball because he's more like you and me than anyone else <laughs> on the court, right? Um, but it's just, it's just something to keep an eye on. And, and one, of the, one of the cool things is I think that, and this is kind of my last, I know I said I want to make the last point and make the Gomez point, but last point is I think Dutch has earned our trust. Trust Dutcher to make the right decisions in terms of the lineup, at least. He can't make the shots go in, but I feel like over the last couple of years, he's really put us in positions to succeed, and that's really all you can ask for as a manager. Yeah. No, definitely. I think last year I I tweeted out something like, remember when people were upset that the Aztecs kept Dutcher instead of – Justin Hudson, right? And Hudson might very well be a fine coach, right? The 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 games the games haven't quite shown it yet, but like that was that was a thing. I remember like talking with people on Twitter that were so upset about it. And I was like, guys, it's it's gonna be fine. And so far it's shown out to be fine. So yeah, I mean, I yeah, he's definitely come a long way. He's definitely grown as a coach which is something that you love to see. Absolutely. We mentioned about the timeout thing. Uh, I mentioned that. And on the next episode, Dom, our guest, is going to talk about Bobby Hurley in the same way, which is pretty funny. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But I hope you guys have been enjoying the start of the season. It's been a great one. Uh, games are going to come very fast coming up. So we'll be putting out, hopefully, a lot of content for you. Um, I'm, I'm excited for this season, man. I can't wait for conference play to get started so we can start racking up some dubs. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that does it for this one. Aztec fans. Um, Yeah. We'll catch you next time. Yeah. See you guys later. Go Aztecs.